So this morning's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 19. Um, It's on page 987 of the Pew Bibles. There's large print ones at the back if you'd rather one of those. So Matthew 19, uh, verses 16 to 30. Oh, chapter 16 to 30. I'd be here all day, wouldn't I? Gordon Bennett. Right. The rich young man. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Are we all all right? That, that video notice was a bit painful, wasn't it? They, um, we got some really exciting people coming. Uh, they are really exciting. Paul Harcourt's in next week. So um, do put that in your diary. Uh, I'd been up half the night, and then I was thrown in front of the camera. That's what had happened then. Hands up if you like really being filmed and doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you see, look around, There's not a single hand has gone out, so <laughs> I'm with you, believe me. It is Gift Sunday, it's an exciting Sunday, and we had Vision Sunday last Sunday. We really celebrated what God is doing in the church, we looked ahead, and so I'm not going to repeat that. If you were not here last Sunday, do listen online, and uh, there's so much to celebrate uh, in the life of the church, and so many exciting things uh, ahead too. Uh, You've had a gift day letter with a pack and information that sets out some of our priorities, the financial realities uh, of where we're at at the moment, and also how you can practically respond. So uh, I'm not going to go over that uh, as well. What I want to do today is really, first and foremost, um, thank you all for your amazing generosity. Now, 
We can be generous in all sorts of ways. We have huge resources. We have time. We have energy. Money is one of them. But I have to say, uh, you have actually been incredibly financially generous, and I want to celebrate that and thank you for everyone here who regularly gives. And um, should we give each other a big round of applause? So what I do want to do, if you're not presently giving, I want to uh, encourage you to think about that this morning. And also, if you are presently giving, not just to thank you, but just to remind you of a few basic things about giving uh, in, and the life of the church. I want to look at this encounter between Jesus and this rich young man and draw some stuff from their conversation. So that's the plan. And the first thing I want to notice, I'm going to go through these, these verses reasonably closely this morning. The first thing I want to really highlight is that Jesus is a seeker. Sorry, the man, the rich young man is a seeker. There's, I've got those reversed. The rich young man uh, is a seeker. And you see this because he comes up uh, asking a question. Uh, verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life. So he's, he's seeking, he's sought out Jesus, and he's asking questions. And I don't know if you could ask God any question, what would it be? I don't know, I can't, I've clammed up, I've frozen. But people have all sorts of questions. Uh, I saw on the internet some questions children uh, really uh, want to ask God. They include, how are you? I don't, I don't know whether that would be your question. Uh, are you happy? And the other one that made me laugh was, why did you make me so pretty? <laughs> the rich young man doesn't ask any of those questions. He actually talks about eternal life. What good thing must I do to get uh, eternal life? Now, this might sound like a strange question by today's standards, but this question was on the lips of everyone at that time. Uh, in Israel, all the Jewish community were obsessed about eternal life because they were waiting for a Messiah to come uh, and bring in eternal life. And interestingly, uh, the eternal life they were expecting wasn't something in the future, you know, you go to heaven uh, sometime in the future. That's not what they were thinking about eternal life. Their understanding was uh, that the Messiah, their understanding of eternal life was that this Messiah was going to come in, he was going to turn everything upside down, he was going to change everything and usher in a whole new way of life. And basically, people wanted to get in on the action. This Messiah is going to come, he's going to actually transform everything, he's going to transform creation, he's going to open up a whole new way of life, he's going to overcome evil, death, decay. And uh, how actually do we access this incredible new way of life is what the rich man is asking. He's clearly done well. Uh, he's made a lot of money, but he doesn't want just wealth. He also wants to get in on this eternal life. And uh, basically, do notice as well that he also thinks it's up to him or it's within his own power through his own behavior to get this eternal life. So he thinks this is all up to me. Uh, at the last bit of verse 16, it says, well, just then a man came up to Jesus asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
So he thinks it's all up to him. You know, what do I have to do? Uh, what, how, how do I get in on the action? Uh, there's a confidence that he can actually do this. There's a confidence that whatever Jesus says, he'll be able to do. And um, this is where we start with this man. On this Gift Sunday, I want to just uh, remind us to think about our seekings, our searchings, and how we've come to Jesus. Because actually, uh, any talk on generosity always starts with uh, actually our own journey, how uh, we've come to faith, how we've accessed this incredible God uh, we call Jesus Christ. That's the starting place uh, as we think about um, financially giving to a church. We've been seekers and we found the one who can give eternal life. We found this extraordinary God. And actually, we mustn't lose sight of that uh, as we travel on with God and follow God. The second thing to notice here is that Jesus actually uh, challenges the man quite quickly. The man actually um, talks, uh, doesn't he, about the law and how uh, he can uh, perform well. But Jesus actually says, you know, as we think about eternal life, you always start with God, not the law. You start with God, not the law. The Jewish belief at the time was if you wanted to uh, access this amazing new way of life, you followed the law. That was how you accessed it. But Jesus says, actually, let's not start with the law. Let's start with God himself, verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. So as we think about our generosity, uh, we don't just start with uh, our own experience of being caught up with Jesus, we also remind ourselves that at the heart of all this discussion of uh, giving is actually God himself starting with the person of God, starting with intimacy with God, and not rules about how much we should give and what we should do and all that sort of stuff. One of the great hazards of the spiritual life is we, we turn it into rules or we become legalists. We think it's all about us, and we have to do various things. And actually, uh, Jesus just uh, reminds this guy, hey, as you're thinking about accessing eternal life, it's about God. You start with God, and he is good. And um, actually, we need to uh, think about our own spiritual vibrancy uh, as we think about our generosity, because we can actually lose connection with the one who is good. And then these sorts of conversations about generosity and all this sorts of stuff become a bit of a drag or a bit of a bore. I spoke to uh, an old friend of mine from New Zealand, my own prayer, who was a former prayer partner. We used to meet regularly and uh, pray for many years. And I spoke to him for the first time for a long time uh, on Tuesday night. And we had this long conversation. And, uh, you know, it was really good to catch up with him, connect with him. And uh, he was saying things like, oh, we haven't spoken for ages. Can be like that with God, can't it? Or um, it's so good to hear your voice again. And uh, it can be like that with God, can't it? Or I really miss you. And uh, I said, I really miss you too. And uh, we should do this more often. But actually, you know, it can be like that with God. Do you ever, do you ever think? I haven't spoken to him. He, he was a really close friend of mine. I haven't spoken to him for a year and a half. But it's like this can happen with God, can't it? That we lose that connection with the one who is good. So Jesus starts by saying to this man, look, 
We can talk eternal life, but let's not start with rules and all that. Just remember, God is good. So he then actually jumps into the law, and this gets slightly challenging. But basically, remember, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And he then says to the man, actually, what you need to do is, uh, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. This is, I think, verse 17. So actually, Jesus points the man to the Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus 20. Uh, These are the law that Moses received. These are the things that the Jewish people at the time thought if they followed, there are other laws too. They could access uh, this eternal life. And uh, Jesus says to him, you know, actually... You've got to keep these commandments, but you do that in a sense of always never forgetting that God is good, and it's about encounter and relationship. That's what is at the heart of faith. And actually, um, you know, uh, the laws are important too, but get your priorities right, so to speak. Holding these two truths together is slightly challenging. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, the Ten Commandments are important, but they don't necessarily function as a passport to eternal life. They point to the goodness of God, remember. So get your priorities straight. And actually, uh, remember that us Jews, we've never thought the keeping of the law was the way to life. That was actually how we respond to the goodness of God. Uh, We just respond in certain behaviors to Uh, the one who loves us. So what I want to just say really is firstly that actually we are searchers, we're seekers. Secondly, uh, we start with God, not laws or duties or things we should be doing as Christians. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? Could you wave if you're still with me? Okay, so that's encouraging. So how much do you give to the church then? As you think about, oh, shall I give to the church, or am I giving enough, am I giving too much, how much do you discern what to give? Well, actually, uh, the Old Testament law said to Jewish people at that time, you give 10% of your income. It was called uh, a tithe. Uh, But actually, you'll be relieved to hear that we are not people under the law, because as Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. He does that on the cross. He fulfills the law and sets us free from the power of the law. So we are now people of the Spirit. And in terms of how much to give, we need to just pray and ask God, you know, Lord, how much do you want me to give? What, you know, how do you want me to respond? And as you pray, you need to know that God knows your circumstances, he knows your heart, he knows your uh, abilities, your resources, and actually will uh, ask us to give different things and different amounts. And you see this actually in this conversation with this um, rich young ruler, because he doesn't just give a standard response to him. It's clear from this conversation I want to show that actually he tailors and chooses what to say based on this man's circumstances. What do I mean by that? Well, verses 18 uh, and 19, uh, the man says, which ones? Uh, Jesus replies, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, if you're interested in this, uh, basically, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus is really discerning what's going on in this man's life and what he needs. Why do I say that? Well, for a start, he doesn't just say, follow the Ten Commandments. This has really perplexed theologians. He doesn't say, right, follow the whole ten. He actually uh, misses out the first four, which is putting God first, getting rid of idols, not taking God's name in vain, etc. And he only actually talks about the fifth to the ninth commandment. And people say, why is that? Did Jesus forget the first to the fourth? No. The man clearly knew the first to the fourth. People think he's actually working out what this guy needs to hear. He's actually seeking to uh, have a conversation that's not a pat answer or a formula, but he's responding to the man's needs. And they think he focused on the commandments five to nine uh, because uh, they focus on how you treat other people. They're also made up of observable actions which you can check your performance against, which the rich young ruler was really keen to do. And so he's, this guy's a box ticker. Okay, let's talk about the ones that are box. You can, you can evaluate yourself if this is important to you. Okay? So this is the sense of this. Also, weirdly, if you look at this, the command to honor your mother and father, Jesus puts in the wrong order. And again, people think, well, why has he done that? Has he, you know, has he had a sort of uh, a moment of actually forgetting what the Ten Commandments are? He's got them in the... They say, no, actually, people think he's recognizing there's stuff going on with this guy and his parents, so he's actually making some points here. The reason I say this is because when you pray, when you say to God, hey, how much do you want me to give to St. Saviors? He will give you different answers. He knows what's going on, and he will lead and guide you as to how to respond. Now, have you, hands up, have you ever prayed and felt God give you a certain uh, leading in this area? Have you had that experience? So that's most of you. He, he, uh, he um, actually asks us to do different things. Now, let's go around the room and see if the mount's the same. I'm only joking. But it won't be. It won't be. Because God knows. He's, he's actually meeting this man where he's at, and he's seeking to actually... Uh, minister to him and start to help this guy uh, with where he's at. So as you pray, know that God knows you. He knows uh, where you're at and he will speak uh, accordingly. And uh, when you have prayed, you've worked out what to give, just go on and give that amount. Now, the third thing um, that's really, really clear about this is that uh, money doesn't bring happiness. This is what seems to be a reminder in this conversation. I don't know about you. Uh, I would love to win the pools. I want, to, I want to win the national lottery. I want millions. I've got the, car, I've got the list of the cars in my mind. I've got... Uh, um, <laughs> there's, there's Mr. McLaren sitting over there. But, you know, uh, the thing is... Um, if you look at studies on money, we can get a bit funny when we talk about money. We can spend our whole life seeking money and wanting money and all this. What's fascinating is, if you look at the studies, all the studies show that money doesn't improve your happiness to any great extent. Once your basic needs have met, apparently, once you have a roof over your head and you can feed yourself, Anything above that, doesn't money doesn't actually affect your happiness. If anything, it increases your unhappiness. And I find it really, really gutting. But 
you know, people who win the national lottery, they actually end up, I heard a woman on the radio recently, I, I won nine million pounds. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me, she said. And she explained how it unraveled her whole life and all this money had just caused problems. So this is true for the rich young ruler. You see this in verse 20. Jesus says about these commands, he sort of says, all these I've kept. That's pretty impressive. What do I still lack? The truth is, he is wealthy, but he's seeking eternal life. Something's missing. And the pounds haven't just sorted out the stuff that's going on in his heart. Money, you see, uh, doesn't actually bring happiness. And uh, actually, uh, someone wrote this. There's much wealth in his house, but much poverty in his soul. So actually, as we think about money, as we think about giving money away, uh, as we talk about this all today, we need to put money in perspective, which is... it. We can get funny about this, but actually, what's really, really weird, we worry about money, we obsess about money, uh, we think about money, but actually, uh, it doesn't bring happiness. And we kind of know that in our hearts. Uh, God himself is the one who can uh, actually meet the hunger in our soul. Jesus then does something quite crazy. He works out this guy's greatest needs. He, he, he discerns what's ruining this man's life, And he says this crazy thing, verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The truth is, uh, the man is in bondage to his possessions. And uh, Jesus is discerned this in his life. And so he said, look, just get rid of it. Get rid of the whole lot. Give it all to the poor. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus doesn't command everyone to give all their possessions away and give to the poor. Uh, he, he doesn't do that. Uh, doesn't apply to everyone. And actually, um, basically, he seemed to say this to the 12 disciples. He seemed to say this to this guy. But actually, um, he doesn't say this to many, many people. And so he's not asking him to give his money away because he thought he could use the money with the poor, though he could have done and did need money. You know, the reason he asked this guy to give everything away was what? It wasn't for the poor's sake. It was for his sake, the man's sake himself. He had got bound and his life was being tied up by all this stuff. And actually... Uh, Jesus discerns that this is what goes on, and that's why on this occasion, on this particular occasion, he says to this person, give everything away. It's killing you. It's ruining your life. You know, you become obsessed. Have you ever met anyone as totally obsessed with money? I have a few times. And I remember asking a a 22-year-old student in Auckland, Auckland University, what do you want to do to your life? What are your top three things? He said, one, money, two, money, three, money. Wow, that's pretty full on, isn't it? But this is a problem, and it's really entrapped him. Now, let me illustrate this by telling you a story about monkeys. And if you want to catch a monkey, how do you catch a monkey? Have you caught one recently? What's your problem? What's wrong with you? Don't you catch monkeys each week? If you want to catch a monkey, all you do is you find a heavy jar with a thin neck, 
that the monkey's paw can just get through. Okay, that's what you do. And then inside the jar, you put in some nuts or some fruit or something. And then you just put it on the ground and you hide behind a bush. And then the little monkey <laughs> comes up, goes in, grabs the nuts, got the nuts, and it won't let go. It can't get its hand out of the jar because the jar's heavy, it can't move. So then you just come up behind it with a wooden club. No, you don't. <laughs> you, just, you just grab the monkey. That's how you do it. But the thing is, this guy is holding the jar. He, he's just completely bound. And so Jesus just goes for the give it, give it all away. You're in trouble. You are in trouble. This is going to ruin your life. And so this is what's going on in this conversation. And I would encourage you, it may be money, you've got a problem around money, and you struggle with talking about money or giving any money away. Do, can I ask you to just prayerfully consider, um, you know, have you, have you got your hand in the jar? And uh, it might not be money. There's all sorts of things that enslave people. Uh, insecurity, lust is a big one. Uh, all sorts of stuff that can actually trap us and ruin our lives. You know, what's the big barrier? What's the big thing in your life? What's the big thing you really, really wrestle with? Is it money? Is it something else? And can I encourage you to bring that to God and actually listen to what Jesus might have to say to you about that? So, are you enjoying this so far? Are you gripped? Good. Um, fourthly, you have total freedom with how you respond to all this. This is so evident from this conversation. You know, often, sometimes gift aid talks, it can be a bit yeah, pressure. Have you ever had a pressurizing gift aid talk? They used to specialize that in, in New Zealand. And they'd, give, they'd pass around big buckets, and it was, it was just... It was quite full on. But actually, you know, you have total freedom how you want to respond. Jesus lets this guy respond in whatever way he wants to. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And he basically lets him go. It's fascinating, doesn't it? He says, this is what I suggest you do. You don't have to do it. Oh, you don't want to do it. That's fine. Off you go. Jesus doesn't run after him and say, you know, I said, uh, I, you know, I said give everything, sell everything, give it to the poor. What about, what about 80%? Okay, 90%. Or what, okay, will you stay if it's 30% or 10%? Or he just says, okay, and lets him go. And uh, you have total freedom in how you want to respond on this gift day. And Jesus just lets you do what you want because he loves you, he's gracious, and he's not a God who holds a gun to your head. And so that's worth thinking about. And can I uh, just uh, say, he'll let you do what you want. He lets us do what we want in all sorts of areas, doesn't he? But on this, he'll let you do what he wants. But can I encourage you to uh, actually dis respond to what he does say to you as you pray, uh, as you pray about what to give? I would encourage you, to respond to that and give, and I'm talking to myself too, uh, because actually he knows what's going on, he knows what you need, and he knows, like with a rich man, uh, the best things for you. Now, I don't know what you make of all this, but uh, actually, 
Fifthly, Jesus' attitude to money and his teaching with the disciples and generally was utterly shocking. It was, at that time, it was really, really shocking. And uh, basically, even weird. I, I don't know, I remember when I first came to faith, I remember going to a church and I thought that was a bit strange. I then got used to being in church. I remember my first gift day and someone standing out saying, hey, would you consider giving money to the church? I thought that's so shocking that you would even ask for any of my money to help fund this thing. I remember thinking, gosh, do people actually give any? This is so weird. It's so shocking. It's my money. How dare you talk about my money? You know, this is so weird. What, you give money to the church? But actually, Jesus' teaching is quite shocking around money because wealth, he says, can be, can be, not necessarily is, but can be a barrier to life with him. Verses 23, 24. When Jesus said to his disciples this, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, He starts cracking jokes at this point. Jesus probably breaks the atmosphere of the man walking off and the disciples going, well, that went well, didn't it? Uh, He starts cracking cracking jokes. He, He uses exaggerated language. And he says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel, that was the largest common animal of the time, to go through the eye of a needle that's probably the smallest thing you can ever think of, uh, than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom uh, of God. And you see, the disciples are totally shocked by this because at that time, if you were wealthy, and there weren't many wealthy people uh, at that time, this guy would have stood out, this, this ruler. He would be like, whoa, here he is. You know, Everyone would be trying to uh, get in with him. Uh, actually, there weren't many really, really wealthy people. And, and um, Jesus uh, is saying, actually, wealth doesn't necessarily bring you blessing. The Jewish belief at that time was when you've been wealthy, God had blessed you. And there's, the New Testament would affirm that, but it also says, actually, you know, wealth can be a barrier to uh, the things of God. And you see this shock in the disciples, verses 25, 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. When were you last greatly astonished? I mean, it's quite strong language. Uh, And asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We have to be very careful as we think about this. Jesus isn't saying that rich people can't be saved. Far from it. Jesus' own ministry actually relied on wealthy people and wealthy resources. uh, And his whole um, discipleship group uh, needed wealthy people around them. Think of uh, Peter, Peter's home and their possessions. But he does say it can be hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. Yet he also says, you know, nothing is impossible with God. We've just seen this guy walk off, but actually God can even turn a life like that around. And nothing's impossible because actually God is powerful. He's uh, fulfilled the law. He's defeated death. And uh, his power that raised him from death back to life is at work in my life and your life. So he's powerful. It's not impossible, but actually it can be a, a challenge. So... The disciples end up thinking, gosh, well, what's going on? What's going on? And I want to just end with this point. I think this is an important point. Sixthly, faithfulness is rewarded, Jesus says. Faithfulness in being generous is actually uh, rewarded. So Peter, typical Peter, he uh, comes up and says this, look, we've left everything to follow you. 
flipping A. What's this about? We've just left everything to follow you. What, what's going to be in it for us? Come on. You're saying he's got everything. He's just walked tough. We've made real sacrifices to follow. I used to be a fisherman, for goodness sake. I've left my job. Here I am. What's in it for me? Don't you love Peter? And uh, basically, Jesus replies, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit uh, eternal life. I won't unpack this, but Jesus is um, building on an idea in Daniel 7, this idea of eternal life that actually uh, his people will some extent rule uh, with him. And it was the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel who do that. Now, interestingly, as we saw last week, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, rejected uh, Jesus. And so he's saying, look, my followers, follow, people who follow me, actually, uh, when they lay down their lives, when they make sacrifices, when they loosen the grip, when they let go of the nuts in the jar and just step out in faith, uh, actually, they are, in some sense, going to be the new uh, leaders, the new rulers. And part of eternal life is about um, us ruling with God in heaven. And so don't worry, you have left everything. Peter, calm down. You are going to be fine because your faithfulness, your sacrifice will be rewarded. What choices you make now do have spiritual consequences on into the future. And, um, you know, I don't know how you feel about that, but we often lose sight of the eternity uh, or the eternal perspective of the reality of laying down our lives. And... Uh, the rewards that come from that. Now, I don't know, if the rich young ruler was there, he'd probably start getting out his calculator, and sometimes we can start trying to make calculations. So it's like, well, if Jesus then, um, <laughs> if I give 10 pounds, what role will I have in heaven? Or, um, you know, um, okay, I'll give this amount. So, uh, you know, in the future, and we can do these calculations. Actually, you know, Jesus says, to avoid doing that. Know the truth of the principle, but remember, actually, Peter, verse 30, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And actually, he says, you've got to just have a totally different perspective on money. My values are totally different. What I've done, the whole thing, couldn't be chalk or bigger than chalk or cheese to how you're seeing wealth the choices you're making about wealth. But know this, faithfulness is rewarded. Don't do the maths. Trust me and believe me, uh, it is going to be um, uh, true. But don't, don't sort of be silly about this, Peter. Don't do all that. Nee, 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 nee. Get your calculator out. Because the first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And he goes on to tell this other story. So on this gift day, may I encourage you to be confident in God. May I encourage you to actually just remember who it is you've met, who it is you've encountered, just the huge generosity 
of the one who's called you, the one who you can't outgive, the one who has laid down his life. And can I encourage you to actually pray, discern, as you discern, know that God knows your situation. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he will speak and he will lead and he will guide through the Spirit. Know that you're not under any law or obligation. Uh, This is the wonderful thing, part of the wonderful thing that God has done. You're people of the Spirit, so seek to follow the Spirit and hold some of these principles in mind. Actually dethrone the power of money in your life and in my life. It's not all it's cranked up to be. The best way of dethroning the power of it and the obsession with it is to give it away. And also, there are good consequences in the future for when we do that, because actually, faithfulness is rewarded. Amen.